All right, so the the topic for this week was the Makalel. Was the Makalel so bad? What was the problem with the person who blasphemed at the end of this week's Sadra? If you look at if you look at the Pasuk, the it's somewhat enigmatic as to the situation as to the story of what occurred. So the Pasuk tells us, Vayetzi ben Isha Yisraelis, the son of a woman who was a Jew, a Jewess, an Israelite woman, Vuhu ben Ish Mitzri, and he was also the son of a, an Egyptian. Uh, the Ibn Ezra points out that as a matter of Pshat, um, if he's the son of a Mitzri, why are we enumerating that? Why are we highlighting it? How did he get here? Well, he probably was one of those Egyptians that converted, like, you know, the Erev Rav, etc. So, he was a Ben Mitzri, but he was, um, father had converted. So says the Ibn Ezra. But we're going to go tonight with the Ramban, who takes a different approach. And he went out, Besoich B'nei Yisrael, amongst the Jewish people, and what happened? And he got into a fight with somebody who was the son of an Israelite. Uh, this uh, someone who was an Israelite. So this person, um, who was um, half a Jew, in a sense, it gets into a fight with somebody who is a Jewish person. And he curses, and we get to know his mother was Shlomo Bas Divri from the tribe of Dan. They put him in jail to figure out what to do with him, and they're told the punishment is that he has to get killed, and everyone who heard him puts their hand on him, gives him a smicha, and they stone him. So, that's the basic story. Where I want to start tonight is how Chazal understood this, which is where the Ramban is coming from. According to Chazal, according to the Medrash Rabbah and Shirashirim, the Medrash suggests, Rav Huna B'Shem Bar Kapara says like this, There were four reasons for zuchusim, for merits, meritorious acts of the Jewish people that caused the Jewish people to be redeemed from from Egypt. What were the four? Because they didn't change their names, they didn't take on Egyptian names. They didn't change their language, they still spoke, you know, their version of Proto-Yiddish. They didn't they didn't talk um, evil and malicious speech. And nobody was engaged in licentious activity. So obviously, this doesn't fit with the other Midrashim that talk about the things that they didn't change with the clothing. There are different versions of this. But in this matter, there were four things that didn't change. Namely, they didn't give themselves Egyptian names. They didn't um, speak any language other than their Lashon Kaddish or whatever it was that they spoke. They didn't speak Lashon Hara and they did not 
engage in licentious activity. Says the Medrash. Says the Medrash. Examples of each one of this, that Ruven, Shimon, etc. didn't change their names to whatever sort of Egyptian names. What's the example of, of Lashonam? That they spoke Ivri, they didn't speak, you know, whatever uh, Egyptian language there was. They spoke Lashonak Kaidish. What Lashonhara? Lashonhara is, is that they were aware that Moshe Rabbeinu's return to Egypt presaged a exodus, whereby they were going to borrow with big ear quotes from the um, Egyptians around them. They were going to borrow all their gold and silver and their clothing, etc. Quote-unquote, borrow never to return. And they never revealed that to the Egyptians. Or the Egyptians wouldn't have presumably been so willing to give and acquiesce to give away all their stuff. And what does it mean that they didn't engage in any licentious activity? Says the Medrash. But what does it mean that there was no example of priests, no example of Arias in Egypt? Says the Medrash. How do I know that? The proof is in this Pasuk. The fact that we over here say that there was a man and he was the son of an Israelite woman and an Egyptian man, the highlighting here is to teach you that this was, an, uh, this was a licentious activity and it's worthy of mention because this was the only one. So you learn from the you learn from the absence. In other words, by the fact that we're taking out the time to enumerate the woman and to enumerate the fact that she had had a relationship with an Egyptian man that bore a son. That's telling you that on everything else that you didn't hear about. That's because in this regard, it's one of these highlights that the Jewish people adhere to that they did not become parutz ba'arayis. That's the proof of this medrash. To teach you the praise of the Jewish people. There was no Arias except for this woman. And here the Torah told you. And that teaches you about everything else. That teaches you about all the all the rest of the Torah that doesn't make any mention. It's not making any mention because there was nothing to say. Only over here was there something to say. And here we highlighted it because there was something bad that was done, but it was a one-off situation. So in other words, you see from this Medrash, not like the Ibn Ezra, that the the fact that he was Egyptian just simply meant that he was from the converts that came along from Egypt. No. This was someone who was an Egyptian, qua Egyptian, no converting to Judaism. And what was done was licentious. What was done was Arias. And this was the only example of it. So what you see already is two different approaches to understand the Benish Mitzri situation. And here's the third Medrash. The third Medrash goes even farther. Uh, sorry, here's the second Medrash, the third opinion. This Medrash goes even farther to say about this action that took place between Shlomis Bas Divri and the Egyptian man that we do not use this example or this situation as an example of licentious activity. Not at all, says the Medrash. This was not licentious. This was a case of mistaken identity, says the Medrash. What had happened was that 
effectively, the way they got the Jews to work was they had Egyptian overseers who oversaw the Jewish policemen, and the Jewish policemen oversaw the Jews. And so one day, one of the Egyptian overseers saw Shlomas Bas Divri and took a liking to her. And so one day it so happened that he uh, came along and told the Shaitrim to, um, it was time to uh, leave to go to work, says the Medrash. They had this whole system of labor and and they would leave early in the morning at Kriyasagever. So Pam Achas Halach Noiges Mitzri Eitzel Shoyte Yisrael. So one time, this Egyptian overseer took a liking to Shlomas Bas Divri when he was going to wake up the men to come to uh, the policemen to come to work to go get the rest of the Jews awake. So he stopped by one of the policemen, one of the Jewish policemen. And he took a liking to Shlomis Bas Divri. So he pushed out the Jewish policeman to go to work, to go get the other Jews awake, to go do the job. And then he came back, the Egyptian came back to the house, pretended, so it's still very dark, he pretended that he was in fact the Jewish man, her husband, the Shaiter. And they had relations with a woman. She thought that it was her husband. She became pregnant. The husband came back, he found the Egyptian. So he asked her, She said, Yeah, and I thought it was you. And then the marriage continues a story that basically. The the Egyptian got wind of the fact that the Shaitzer suspected him, so he started to beat him up, and Maish Rabbeinu came along and saved the day and killed the Mitzri. And that's the back story to why that story is mentioned at the beginning of Shemais. I don't want to focus so much on that part of the Medrash as much as the first part, which is that the Medrash is suggesting over here that this is in fact one of the um, not one of the situations where you see an example of licentious activity which testifies to all the other situations that they were not. No. Says the matter to the contrary. There was no licentious activity in Mitzrayim at all. This was just simply a case of mistaken identity. Mistaken identity happened to the best of us, right? It happened to Yaakov Avinu. He was very taken aback. He was very surprised. He didn't know that it was Leah. He thought it was Rachel. So it certainly can happen to Yaakov Avinu, it can happen to anyone. So it happened to this woman, but she's not to be blamed for this. In secular law, this is certainly considered activity that is punishable. It's a crime, mistaken identity. Recently in Israel, they arrested someone um, for effectively lying about his assets and convincing women that he was very wealthy and having relationships with them. And so the woman argued that they only had relationships because of the fact that they thought he was very wealthy and was going to buy them big presents. So because he was preying on them by using his uh, assumed identity, which wasn't real, 
that meant that the consent that they provided wasn't really consensual, and therefore it's punishable. So effectively, what the Medrash is suggesting is that there was never an example of licentious activity in Egypt, and even in this situation, there was an out, there was a way to explain it, that she was not to be blamed. In fact, if you look at the Arachayim over here, the Arachayim goes pretty far to say that the Psukim are trying to assert this idea. He says, if you look at the very beginning words, it opens up with this parsha of the Makal, it opens up pretty weirdly. The Pazik says, Vayedze ben Isha Yisraelis. And, and the person went out. Where was he going out from? All the Midrashim ask, where was he going out from? So the Arachayim wants to say that it's similar to when Aaron Akayan was trying to defend himself from Moshe Rabbeinu's sort of um, presumably accusatory glance, right? right? What, what happened over here? So Aaron says, look, you know, the people were upset, you weren't here, blah, 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 and they all got their, their trinkets, their gold and jewels, etc., and we put it in, and the golden calf, it came out. It just came out. I mean, it just came out. Unless you're saying something miraculous or magical took place. It was fashioned, it was formed. But Aaron doesn't want to say that. He says, the It just came out. So that's what the Archaim says over here. The Archaim starts out by saying that it says, is al derech that pasuk? I'm sorry. It says over here, "Vayetzi benisha Yisraelis." That's al derech vayetzi egel azeh. It's a similar idea, and then namely, it, there was no intentionality. The Torah is, as it were, hinting to the fact that this this son of a Jewish woman just came out. It was not intentional that he should be the son of an Egyptian man. It was done without intention, and therefore he points out that that's the reason that the Torah says, was b'seich b'nei Yisrael, right? It was b'seich b'nei Yisrael because of the fact that he wanted to be um, a part of the Jewish people. He's a part of the Jewish people. He's just in the midst of the Jewish people. And he says maybe even the fact is that the Torah is hinting to the fact that the woman was blameless as well. He says, k'moi k'en, um, right? It happened without any intentionality on the part of the woman. And as the matters that we just discussed brought down. So we have here effectively three different approaches to the Ben. This person is the son of a Ben Ish Mitzri. He's either a Mitzri that's converted to Judaism and he's had a child, or it's a situation where there was a licentious activity that took place in, in in Egypt, and this is the product, or there was an activity that took place, a case of mistaken identity, it wasn't licentious activity, and this was the product of it. Three different approaches, three different worlds of how to look at the situation, the background, the context of what we have over here. Now, in order to be able to situate the next thing, to get to the Ramban, maybe it makes sense to look at Rashi for a second. If you look at Rashi, 
and how Rashi situates. That Rashi brings down two different opinions. Rashi says, there is one opinion in the Medrash that says that the reason that this person is coming over here is because, what's it mean by Yetzi ben Isha Yisraelis, says Rashi. Mehechan Yatsa, where did he come from? Rabbi Levi says, Me'olama Yatsa. He came from his world. And Rabbi Rechia says he came from the parsha previously. What are the two opinions saying? So one opinion, which is saying that he came from the parsha before, is because he was sort of putting down the showbread. He was putting down the idea of the lechem upon him. He says, Darach HaMelech Lechol Paschama B'chol Yoyim. Is it going to eat, you know, needing the hot bread every day? Shema Paschanenes Shal Tishiyamim. You know, a bit me is going to have this old bread. That's one approach. That's one idea. So he's coming out by Yetzir. Where's he coming from? He's coming from making fun of the parsha that happened before. Second reason, says Rashi, what's this person coming out? What happened over here? What's what, what's the uh, context? Says Rashi, the second context is coming from his own world. What happened? That he was coming from the basement of Moshe Rabbeinu. What happened at the basement of Moshe Rabbeinu? He wanted to put up his tent in the tribe of Dan. Right? We know Shlemis Bas Jivri Lamate Dan. So he goes and puts up a tent by Dan. And the people of Dan say, What are you doing here? And he says, Well, I'm I'm a child of Dan. And they say, No, no. The Torah says, Lamate Avoisam. It goes after the father's Shavit. Who's your father? And he says, well, my father was an Egyptian, but my mother is from Dan. They say, you're not welcome. You have no ability to put up your tent here. And so he's very upset. And here is where you have a divergence in the Midrashim. Some Midrashim say that this is what it means, the Vayinotzu Bamachana. This was the fight that he had with the Isha Yisraeli, some other member of the tribe of Dan, who says that you cannot put up your tent. And so he curses God. The other opinion says that he takes this tribe of Don, he takes this person to a lawsuit. In other words, he goes to Maishu Rabbeinu and says, it's not right. I want to be able to put up my tent. Where am I supposed to put up my tent? And Maishu Rabbeinu says to him, you can't put up your tent in Mate Dan. You're not from the tribe of Dan. Your father was an Egyptian. So Yatsa Mechuyev, he came out from the base din of Meshur Abenu without, um, he, he came out without, um, um, with a verdict against him. He wasn't able to put up his tent. And so therefore, um, he cursed. Therefore, he cursed uh, Kaddish Baruch Hu. So these are the two approaches that Rashi brings. Why is Rashi bringing down these two approaches? Is obvious because, yes, he saw that in the Medrash. But as a Pshat matter, this story is following immediately the laws about the Lechem Aponim. Why would we be following up the story of the Mekal after Lechem Aponim if there was no relationship there? In other words, even if the Torah is not intimating a relationship, Perhaps there's still a relationship. That's what's giving the strength to the Medrash 
to suggest that the Makale was coming and making fun of what's going on with the Lechem HaPan. What about the other opinion? The other opinion is saying there's no obvious relationship between the story of the Makala and the Lechem HaPan. There's nowhere in the Torah that says there's anything connected. So <coughs> maybe what the connection to what he's cursing about is the way he's introduced. If he's introduced as a Ben HaYisraelis, right, and his father is a Ben he's a son of a Mitzri, and he's fighting with an Ish Yisraeli, and the mother is Shlemes Basdivri Lamatetan. Maybe there's something about Dan here. Maybe there's something about being half a Jew or half Egyptian against the full Jew. Maybe there's something to do with creating a situation that had problems with the tribe of Dan that was a difference between full Jew and not full Jew. That's what's giving the other Midrashic approaches the strength to say that what was the cursing was in relation to the fact that he was being unwelcomed in any tent, that he wasn't able to put up his tent anywhere. Right? Because think about such a person, he's effectively a permanent, you know, he doesn't have a place in the Jewish people. So Rashi's bringing down both. Now let's go to the Ramban. The Ramban quotes Rashi all the time. Pashas Emery literally quotes him tens of times. Every single Sedra, the Ramban quotes Rashi. Every single time he quotes Rashi, it's either to agree or to disagree, but he's always quoting Rashi. So the first thing you notice when you get to this Ramban is he doesn't quote Rashi. He does at the end quote the Tsar Fatim. He quotes the, the, the French, but it can't be Rashi because it usually would quote Rashi by name. He's not quoting Rashi, he's quoting the, the French commentators. The Ramban says like this. The Ramban says that what is going on here in this situation? Says the Ramban. What happened? What did they go out from? Says this is like when um, you know by Mordechai and Esther in the in the in the Purim story in Megillas Esther. That's what this is like. He went out to the middle of the Machana. What was he doing out in the middle of the Machana fighting? What was he fighting about? There was a fight in the in the middle of the camp. The tough Subai, and they grabbed him over there. They held on to him over there. And they brought him to Moshe's tent to make the decision of what to do with him. And the reason that this person is being brought over here, the reason that this story is being brought down over here, it's It's because of the fact that he was coming from the parsha of before. Meaning that the reason that the Mekala story is situated over here is specifically because of the fact that it follows on the, the, the laws of the Lechem him that this person was making, being malagling on, he was making fun of. Now, the first thing to note, or the first question, the more the fundamental question is, 
Why is the Ramban saying this? We know, and we've discussed this before, and I have time to go into it all today, but we've discussed before that according to the Ramban, in the big machlekes about whether or not there is muktum umu'ochah b'tayrah, right, the Ibn Ezra is always moving things around, right, he's always saying, hey, hey muktum, hey muktum, whatever, it's, you know, he's always changing things around. He's mixing it up. But not the Ramban. We remember that the Ramban is very clear. The Ramban says, the Ramban says earlier in, 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 um, in Vayikra, the Ramban says, Va'aldaiti, according to my understanding, Kol HaTorah the whole Torah is written in order. Wherever the Torah is changing in order, making something out of order, the Torah is going to be very clear and explain to you that something's happening that's out of order, like you can see in the beginning of, of, of Bamidbar, where the parashas in Ba'aloischa are taking place before, and Nasser, etc. So the Ramban holds it as a a priori matter, in principle, it's always muktam um The Torah is always written in an order. So, why don't I just simply say that this story of the Mechalos is taking place after the mitzvah of the Lechem because that's how it happened. That's how it transpired. Whenever it was that they got the rules about the Lechem after that, the Mechalos story happened. To me, that's a strong question. Right? The Ramban has made it clear again and again. Right? When it came to the Mishkan, if you recall, the Ramban was very clear that the Mishkan was not built as a response to the ego. If the Torah puts Parshas through Mantitzavet before it puts in Parshas Kisisa, that's because that's how it happened. And so the Ramban has a whole thesis. Why do we need to have a tabernacle? What's the point of a Mishkan? Says the Ramban, because it's a way to concretize and to continue on the incredible experience at Mount Sinai. Now that Mount Sinai is over, now that the Jewish people have moved on in their travels, so how do we keep Mount Sinai with us? It's essentially a recreation, a mini Mount Sinai experience. Or, for example, if you recall when Yisro came to town, Right, and all the disputants talk about, well, did Yisrael come before Ma'antor or did he come after Ma'antor? Says the Ramban, look, at the end of the day, it says Yisrael came before Ma'antor. So he did, he came before Ma'antor. How do you deal with the stuff in Parashat Ba'alos? So the Ramban has his approach. But fundamentally, the Rambans have the approach that things take place in the order that it takes place unless the Torah is telling you it's out of order. So if the Torah is not saying anything, why don't I just say that the Torah... It's just putting it in the order of how it happened. The mitzvah of Lechem him, and then the story of the Makal, that's what happened. Because if I do that, then I no longer have the strength to say that the reason it's situated next to the story of the Lechem him is because of the fact that he was coming to be malaglik on the, make fun of the Lechem him. If I just say it's chronological, then it's not contextual. And then there's no reason to say that there was being malagli on the lechem him. And if the Ramban holds that that's always how the Torah acts, unless the Torah is saying it otherwise, 
then why is he going on and saying that this is a fundamental, uh, you know, relationship contextually that the lechel aponim and the makal are exactly are are connected to each other? They're just connected in time, nothing more. This is my principal question on the Ramban, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I think he does it. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'll tell you why I think he's doing it. So the Ramban continues. The Ramban says like this. He says that this person came out and he was chatabasfasov. He made fun, right, about what happened by the Israeli, and the Jewish person gave him a taichacha, and they were fighting, and he cursed them out. That's the understanding of the Ramban, which is clearly taking one of the two sides that Rashi brought down. But not breaking down both sides as the way Rashi did. Only one. And the Ramban is obviously aware of it. And that's why he's saying we're choosing this one because he's not choosing the other one. He's not choosing the other one. He's not choosing the one that says, well, let's look at the way the story is described. The son of a Jewish man. I'm sorry, the son of a Jewish woman and an Egyptian man is fighting with a Jewish man. The mother is Shlomo's best divi from the tribe of Don. That, no, that the Ramban is not going to. But listen to what he says next. He says, What is the reason the Torah gives us all of this information about the fact that she was a, uh, his mother was a Jew and his father was not? And the, the person he was fighting with was Jewish. This is to teach you. Right, somebody who's an idol worshiper. Habo Abbas Yisrael, who has a relationship with a Jewish woman, Havlad Eina Yisraeli, the child is not really a Jew. Even though the Gemara says that even though the Gemara does say that a person who is a non-Jew, who has a relationship with a Jewish woman, the child is in fact kosher, whether or not the woman was married, or was single. Hariyamru, nevertheless, we still say, The child is has a pagam, has a has a problem, and it cannot be doing the service in the Beis HaMikdash. The came, and certainly not only with the child, if it was a, a Kohen, uh, uh, wanted to marry a Kohen, would not be able to marry a Kohen, a priest. Not only that, the Kohen she any Israeli, for sure, he's not going to be considered a Jew. In order to be able to travel in the desert with the flags in the area. And would not get a portion in the land of Israel. Why? Because over there the Torah says that they are um, that they are uh, um, to the father's tribes. And this person doesn't have a father. This person doesn't have a, a, a tribe from the father. So the Ramban is talking about clearly aware of the other opinion. Right? He's clearly aware of the other opinion that says that the reason that the Makalel is upset and the reason that he's cursing is because of the fact that he's not given a place. But the Ramban doesn't say that that's the reason that the cursing happened. 
The Ramban just telling you, by the way, you should know that the law is that someone who is the child of a Jew, a Jewish woman, and a non-Jewish man, that child is not really a full-fledged Jew. Even though the Gemara says he is a Jew, and I acknowledge the fact that he's a Jew, nevertheless, he's puzzled, the, the child is puzzled from the Kahuna, the child is not going to be able to be traveling on the Golem and the Machne, and the child is not going to get a portion to inherit in the land of Israel. But that's not the reason that he was upset. That's just, I'm telling you the rules. But that's not the reason he was upset. He's upset because of the Lacham upon him. So the Ramban, as it were, seems to be trying to tell you that this is all the halacha the Torah wants you to know. And it's intimating that by telling you all this genealogical detail about this Mikalel. But don't get confused. That's not the reason this person was upset. Now, the context is, if you go to the Gemara and Yuvamis, over there, the Ramban is bringing down, the context is, is that this was a very, very big debate. Is an Evi Kechov, Ish, is that Havlad Mamzer or not? It was a big question, big debate, not just among the Tanam, among the Amoraim. This was a debate that lasted for a long time. A lot of different opinions on different sides of the equation. And the Gemara comes out like this. Gemara tells us that Rav felt that the child should be okay. The child should be mutter. The child is totally kosher. And the Gemara says there was a man who came to Rav. The Gemara says the man came to Rav and said, that this was his situation. Or he didn't say it exactly. He intimated it. He asked Rob the question, what is the story of a guy who's Baal Bas Yisrael? What's the story with the child? Rob said the child is fine. Omar Leh, Avlad Kosher. So Omar Leh said to Rav, Havli Bartuch, let me marry your daughter. Which, as the commentaries explained, was intimating that he's suffering from this problem. He can't get a shidduch. Why? Because of his Zicha situation. His father wasn't Jewish. And Rav is saying that it's kosher. It's no problem. So if he's kosher, let me marry your daughter. Rav says, no. I'm not letting you marry my daughter. So Simi Barchia, who is there, says to Rav, it's really nice that you said that he's, like, he's kosher, but it doesn't really help him in life. The fact that you're saying that he's kosher, it's great. It really is very helpful. But you're not helping him because he can't get a shidduch. You won't marry your daughter to him. So like, whoop-dee-doo, that you said that he's kosher. How does it help him in life? If you're not willing to get involved, if you're not willing to take it on the chin, how does it that you say that this person is really accepted among the Jewish people. You're not willing to take any skin in the game here. Rav responds back, If this person was as great as Yeshua Benun, I wouldn't let him marry my daughter. That's, you know, like, like why don't you say, if it's, you know, it's like, Yeshua Benun, the son of the moon. All right. You're, you're, you're taken to a pretty high level. You obviously are saying that whatever reason, you don't want your daughter to marry him, but even if this guy was Yeshua Benun, I have my reasons why I don't want this shit to happen. 
Okay. Says Simon Barachia to Rav, he's not letting him have any of this, right? So he says back to him, Omarle, If he, in fact, was like Yeshua Benun, if he had such a tremendous you know, ability, he was such a holy person, such a scholar. So then, Then if you were to marry off your daughter to him, he would still find the Shidduch. But he's not Yeshua Benun. Nobody alive is Yeshua Benun. He's a regular guy. And he can't get a Shidduch because. Even though you say that he's totally kosher, you're not willing to. You're not willing to take the risk. You're not willing for whatever your reasons are. And even though Rav's telling me, I have my own reasons. It's not because of anything about him. Saint Rachi is saying you're you're basically, effectively, not letting him into the Jewish people. So the Gemara continues, and the Gemara says, This person wouldn't leave Rav. He just stayed there. And the Gemara says, Yav It's one of those examples, if you remember from a few years ago when we did the evil eye share, I spoke about this Gemara, because he gave him the eye, and he died. That's what the Gemara says. Rav gave him the eye, and this person died. It's obviously a very, very tragic story. And the Gemara is not mincing any words in terms of bringing it down. I want to do one more part of that Gemara. At the end of that, at the end of that Gemara, the Gemara says that the the Gemara says that as a halachic matter, and the Hilchasa we know is inserted in by the by the Gaonic uh, um, addition to the Shas, the Hilchasa Goy You should know. That a guy or an evet that have relations with a bas yisrael, the child is kosher. Bein bepnuya, bein beishes. It doesn't make a difference. There's no mamzer. Even if the woman was an eishes, the child's totally kosher. No problem. The Gemara says, "Rava achshere l'rav Mary by Rachel." Rava gave a, a kashras to, to Rav Mary Bar Rachel, and he appointed him as some sort of a knacker, some sort of an officer. And this guy, Mary Bar Rachel, he was a situation like this, where his mom was Jewish and his father was not. Even though the Pasuk tells us, even though even though we normally say it should be only from somebody who's uh, of lineage of, of Jewish parents on both sides. Hi, Kevin, the Imam Yisrael, Mikir Vachecha Karinim Bey. Rava says that he is considered Achecha. His mother was a Jew. He's 100% Achecha. It's a done deal. That is to say that according to the way Rava saw the situation, this person. Mary Barachel, his mother was a Jew, his father was not. Rava says he's 100% kosher. Right? Rava is long after Abaya, right? And the debate is obviously still raging, it's still going on in terms of, like, is it work, is it not work, is it... And he's not only saying this person is mutter, he's kosher, he's putting him in a position that defines Achecha. Normally you say only the Messimus, only the positions of authority are people from Achecha, he says this person is considered achacha. The fact that his mother was a Jew is enough to make him achacha. That's the Gemara in Yavamas. 
The Ramban is 100% aware of this Gemara, as he himself quoting in part of this Gemara. And yet, when we look at the Ramban, the Ramban says that the reason that this person was upset and cursing was because of the situation of the um, Lechem Aponim. And why is the Torah telling you about all this context that this mother is Israelis, the father is a Egyptian, and the mother's name was Shlomo Oh, that's all to tell you the halachas. The halachas are yes, he's truly a Jew, but he, you know, no, no, Apostle for the Kahuna, he cannot have a place in the camp. Oh, and he also is not what he called, right? He's not able to get an achla, an inheritance in the land of Israel. In other words, this is a person who is technically a Jew. Halakhically, the Gemara says, he is a Jew, he's he's a Jew, but he doesn't have a place among the Jewish people. This person doesn't get a place among the Jewish people. And the Ramban continues, and the Ramban says that, so even though that this person is a, a Jew, and he doesn't need to have, the Ramban quotes the French authorities, Right, I said he didn't quote Rashi, he quoted the Tsarfatim. The French authorities, they have an opinion that says that this person is not really a Jew because he was born before Matan Torah. And if you're born before Matan Torah, you go after the father's lineage. And so the father's lineage is an Egyptian. So he's an Egyptian. And now post Matan Torah, he wants to be with the Jews. So now he has to get a bris meal. Now he's like a convert. Says the Ramban, no, no, that's wrong. He doesn't like it. The Ramban says something very interesting. He says that from the moment that Avram Avinu took upon himself Rismila and mild the whole family, etc., from that moment on, things changed. Says the Ramban, from that moment on, there became a situation where the 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 Jewish people, as it were, had started in 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 uh, in a way that that from that moment on. They were Jews, and even though it was prior to Matan Torah, any child that was then born would, from the mother would certainly have required circumcision as a Jew, and this no, they would never have gone after the father. They would have considered this person always a Jew, and he would need circumcision for circumcision's sake, but not circumcision for gear's sake. That is the opinion of the Ramban. So that is to say, the Ramban, even though he started out by saying strongly that this person, um, uh, that Havlad Eina Yisraeli, Va'afa Pisha Pasaknum Begemar, Da'evi Glilim Ha'boa Basitra, Havlad Kosher, even though the Ramban said such a strong language that the person is Eina Yisraeli, the reality is he holds the person as a Jew. It's just that he says that there's various deficiencies in this person's Jewishness, namely, he is not able to get involved with the priesthood. He's not able to marry into the priesthood, etc. Okay. But also, at the time of the desert, at the time of the Nachla, he was not able to travel in the desert with the Jewish people in terms of having a tent situated in their camp. And he would not, what do you call? He would not get a Nachla in the land of Israel. That is what the Ramban says. Now, I want to go to another Ramban. And then perhaps give a suggestion as to why the Ramban is doing what he's doing. The Ramban is in the Shikas of the Sefer Mitzvahs. 
in the shikhas of the of the Ramban, you know, where he puts in the mitzvahs that the the Rambam forgot to count. So sometimes the Rambam didn't count the mitzvah because the Rambam is fundamentally against counting that as a mitzvah. Uh, and sometimes, like in this situation, it's not that the Ramban is disagreeing with the Rambam. The Rambam also agrees that this is a mitzvah, but he feels that Nichlal in another mitzvah doesn't need to have a separate mitzvah for this one. Says the Ramban, and this is mitzvah of the Shikhas number 16. Says the Ramban, we have to rescue a non-Jew, somebody who is a Gertoshev. Effectively, they're taking on the seven Noahide laws. So such a person, we have to rescue them. We have to we have to save them. Maybe they were drowning. Or maybe they have a rock pile on top of them. You have to mamish, use all your efforts to go save that person's life. He's not a Jew. If he was a sick person, you have to go try to help him out. Give him medical attention, medicinal attention, whatever it is. You have to help this person get, get better. For sure, if it's a, if it's a Jew or, or a convert, for sure, you have to do that. Absolutely, you have to help out as much as you can. But it applies even to a Gertoshev. It applies even to somebody who's not a Jew. As long as the person is taking upon himself to keep a righteous life, to abide by the Noahide rules, that's, that's sufficient. You have to do what you can to save such a person's life. And we learn the Gemara. Right, you're So, if this is true by a non-Jew, of course, by a Jew for sure as well. And the Baalachas Gedelas counts us as a mitzvah, but but the Rambam doesn't. The Rambam feels that it goes into the mitzvah of 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 tzedakah, and therefore he doesn't have to count it as two separate mitzvahs. But the Rambam says, I think it's really a separate mitzvah. Now I'm asking you a question. The Ramban holds, unlike the Rambam, like the Bahag, that there is a mitzvah that has to be counted as part of the 613 that you have to help out somebody who's a not-Jew, somebody who's attempting to abide by the Noahide rules, who's living a righteous life, such a person, you have to help him out. You have to help him out from whatever bad is facing him. So if he's drowning in a river, if he has a rock pile on top of him, if he's just a chayla, you have to you have to help. So, what is the situation that we're faced with over here? What is the situation that we're faced with when we're dealing with this Ben Isha Yisraelis for who Ben Ishmitsu? What kind of a situation do we have on our hands? Remember, the Ramban is bringing down the concept that the Torah is using all of these terminologies, saying, oh, well, he's the son of an Egyptian man and a Jewish woman, and this is the name of the mother, and she's going to try. Why did her do all this? All this uh, uh, historiography. Why do we have to know all the genealogy of this person? Why so important? Oh, tell you all the halachas. I'll tell you all these rules that they, you know, he doesn't get a nachla, he doesn't get a place in the camp, he doesn't get in with the kahuna. But he's a Jew. So maybe the reason that he's upset is because of this fact. Maybe that's why he cursed. No, 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 says the Rambam. I don't think so. 
The reason he cursed is because they're placed next to the situation of the Lechem HaPadim. And it looks like, you know, it's kind of funny, a situation. You're feeding God bread, old bread, moldy bread. I mean, like, what's going on there? I would like to suggest to you that the reason that the Ramban is positing against what you would think is his normal approach, where he says effectively, fundamentally, that there is muktam umu'ochah betayra. And if there's muktam umu'ochah betayra, then the story of, unless the Torah says otherwise, so in that situation, normally, we just simply say there's no context here. It's not related. It's just simply what took place chronologically. After the laws of the Lechem upon what took place was the Maeser Mekalo. Why doesn't the Ramban just simply rely on his chronology? There's no context. Don't read into it so much. Why not focus on the other message, which you well know, right? The Ramban well is aware of that message. It says the reason that this guy cursed was because of the fact that he was not available to go into anybody's house because he couldn't put up his tent because he wasn't welcome. Either somebody told him off or Moshe Rabbeinu himself said you don't have a place. So I think maybe you can suggest, based upon the answer that we just said in this, save for our mitzvahs and the shikas. Because the Ramban is counting it as a mitzvah to take care of somebody who's even not a Jew. Even somebody who's not Jewish at all still has to be taken care of, still has to be matzalim from the rod that they have. Somebody who's attempting to live a life, abiding by the Noahide rules, is sufficient enough that you have to spend your time trying to help him out. So if that's true then I think the Ramban couldn't countenance the fact that this person cursed because no one would help him out, because no one would give him the time of day. So even though the Ramban is very well aware of Rashi, that Rashi brings down both reasons, and even though the Ramban himself brings down that the reason the Torah is giving you all the genealogies to tell you about what the rules are in the halachas in this case, he cannot countenance the fact that that's the reason he cursed. Because even if the halach is such that he really doesn't rightfully have a place among the Jewish people in terms of getting a tribal land, in terms of being able to put up his tent, but don't you have a duty to take care of somebody who's feeling totally alone, totally not allowed to be among the Jewish people? To me, that's fundamental in the reason that the Ramban avoids using that medrash, even though he's absolutely aware of it and he's using it to explain why the Torah is bringing down the genealogy of the person to say exactly what these halachas are but that's not the reason the person cursed the reason the person cursed was because he was he had his own issues making fun of lechem upon him he had his own issues with God but it was not because of the fact that he felt a lack of fraternity that he felt a lack of brother brotherly love among his fellow Achene B'nai Israel. All right, have a good Shabbos.